Yeah. Um, well, it's a delight to be with you guys, I've, and I mean that genuinely. I do feel like I'm amongst friends and people that um, I have a shared journey with, um, lots of you. So, and, and, and in terms of the Mosaic community as a whole too, um, having watched and walked kind of with, um, with Mosaic kind of through the years, it's been very inspiring for Jill and I. And so I hope that there's a mutuality really in terms of the, um, the learning and challenging that we get from each other. Um, Soapboxes are kind of, uh, um, if, if my daughters, my adult daughters were asked about me, they'd probably see a series of soapboxes kind of along the, the lounge there. They, they, Jill and my, my daughters kind of, and, and those who, are, who know me well kind of know that um, when I get convicted or passionate about something, my voice tends to kind of rise and my hands start to move all over the show. And they go, yeah, here we go again, <laughs> all right? <laughs> so there's a number of things that I could have talked about this morning, but it is, it is this area of housing that, um, uh, that I thought would be, would be kind of pertinent, particularly because it's very pertinent for me at the moment. Four years ago, Jill and I bought a second house, a house just around the corner from our place. We'd not intended to do that, uh, but our daughter Melody, uh, who's a teacher, and her friends were involved in our Urban Vision team, and they'd been looking to rent a house in the area, in the district. Uh, they'd been looking for a number of months and couldn't find anything. Alerted me that things were not right, really, in terms of the, the whole housing market. So we bought this house, bought it privately, actually. A, a couple had rented it out and then sort of done it up a little bit, and I happened to be walking by one day and thought, oh, we'll go and ask them, see what they're going to do with the house. It was obvious that they were kind of doing it up. Bought it for $270,000. Today, that is worth probably over 500000 Now, here's my point. That increase in value of $230,000, $250,000, we have paid no tax on. Nothing. We have increased our wealth well, not really, because we're actually going to sell to Melody at a reduced price. But in terms of the, <laughs> hope that doesn't sort of pop the balloon or whatever. But in terms of, a, but you know, the point is, what kind of system do we work in? Do we live in that really enables us to make money just like that, and not contribute to the wider kind of society? When we were building our own place about seven years ago, or starting, we'd bought this piece of land, us and our friends, the Robinsons, off Housing New Zealand, had a big sewer kind of running diagonally underneath the land, so that's why Housing New Zealand didn't want to touch it. In the old days, they could just build over those kind of structures, but of course, these days, you're not allowed to. So it was a, quite a difficult piece of land to construct houses on, but it was in a, a little grove in the centre of Nainai. And we were looking for a place to rent while we built. And three doors from us was a double-storey ex-state house sitting there. And, so we, and it was for rent, and so we inquired about it. We, we talked with the tenants who were moving out. They said, don't rent this place. We said, why, why not? They said, the landlord is a... <clears throat> and 
there is, we're moving out because it's the middle of winter and there's no insulation in the house and he refuses to put any insulation in. We subsequently found out that he owned three houses in the grove. So he owned nearly a quarter of the houses in the grove. And we've seen tenants come and go in those houses over the years. And we know what kind of winter is like kind of in the Hutt Valley. Interestingly, again, not to pop the bubble, but I saw an insulation van appear the week before the 1st of July. <laughs> Fantastic. But in terms of what, what kind of system do we operate where we can allow that kind of behaviour by landlords? These are just two stories, really, I guess, which um, I want to kind of start with just to alert you to the fact that we have some serious issues, if you're not already aware, around housing in our country. And, there, and, and there's kind of a multitude, as there often is, of course, all overlaid. But it's no secret that New Zealand is experiencing its worst housing crisis. For a start, there's not enough houses. I read a couple of weeks ago that they reckon we're short of 130,000 dwellings in New Zealand. And that's not the scary part. The scary part is that 12 months ago it was 110,000. And in 12 months' time they estimated to be 150,000. This crisis is not going away. And it always felt like it would get much worse before it got better. We have housing, as my story about our own rental property suggests, that it's now way too expensive, really. And I know some of you may feel that acutely, either because you're renting or because you're trying to get into the market or whatever in terms of buying places. You know, many places like Nano where things have almost doubled in five years. We have a lot of our housing that's very substandard, eh? Is that right? Not up to grade, really. Badly insulated, poorly maintained, not well ventilated, not built to the sun, not good for a lot of the health issues um, in our, particularly our lower socioeconomic communities, are caused by poor housing. And we have a lot of insecurity about housing, particularly for those who rent. Because when landlords don't take their role seriously and make decisions, and they start making decisions solely based on what's good for them, the result is a deeply insecure situation for families who are renting. Now, one of the results of this, and something that I'm really, really tuned up about, is the fact that our inequality has absolutely ballooned in New Zealand in the last few years. I mean, some of us have done incredibly well out of this crisis, um, but many others are even further disadvantaged than they were before. And so, over these last few years, I've found myself pondering that question, what does God think about our housing crisis and our exponentially expanding inequality? And what's he asking of me and of us? And as I've asked myself those questions, um, uh, there's been particular parts of the scriptures that I've, been, that I've gravitated to, that I've been drawn to. And clearly, a primary one there is the prophets, particularly parts of Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Amos. 
But actually also the story of Nehemiah, which I find incredibly inspiring in terms of the way that he kind of dealt with the crises that he was faced with. Um, but in terms of the prophets, kind of these writings are largely set, as I understand, in the 6th and 7th centuries BC. Um, and there's actually quite a lot of, in those books, around land and housing. It's amazing, eh? When you, when you pick a theme and then you start reading the scriptures and you start noticing things that you hadn't noticed before. So I don't want to bore you with the details because I know you know the big story, but let's reframe or refresh ourselves in terms of what was happening to God's people during this time. Well, we probably need to go back to earlier in the story where God had given the law to Moses during their wanderings in the wilderness. And as part of that, Yahweh had put in place a number of laws designed to give each household and family unit the means to flourish perpetually. In particular, there was the dividing up of the land between the tribes and the households into viable portions and a series of laws that were intended to act as correctives to our human tendency to take advantage of other people and also to take more from the land than is sustainable. As we know with the story, things started to go downhill, and particularly during the time of the judges, when the people pestered God for a king, essentially suggesting that they wanted to be just like the surrounding nations. And then after Solomon, the nation fragments into two. And while there are exceptions, the leadership, both kings and religious leaders, are largely corrupt and leading the people astray. Now, increasingly, in this situation, the wealth in the land is being concentrated into the hands of a few. And it appears that the laws around sabbatical and the jubilee have largely been ignored. And so it's in this context that God sends his prophets to warn the people of Israel, and actually the surrounding nations too, um, of judgment if they don't change their ways. What were the issues that Yahweh had with his people? Well, they were largely centred on idolatry and injustice. And in God's eyes, I think the two were very much linked. The prophets say that Israel's leaders had been unprincipled and self-serving. Here's one outburst from Jeremiah, um, in the words of uh, Eugene Peterson. Doomed to him who builds palaces but bullies people, who makes a fine house but destroys life, who treats his, cheats his workers and won't pay them for their work, who says, I'll build an elaborate mansion with spacious rooms and fancy windows. I'll bring in rare and expensive woods and the latest in interior decor. So that makes you a king, living in a fancy place? Your father got along just fine, didn't he? He did what was right and treated people fairly, and things went well for him. He stuck up for the down and out, and things went well for Judah. Isn't this what it means to know me? But you are blind and brainless. All you think about is yourself, taking advantage of the weak, bulldozing your way, bullying victims. Whoa. Isaiah has similar words. Doomed to you who buy up all the houses and grab all the land for yourselves. Evicting the old owners, posting no trespassing signs, taking over the country, leaving everyone homeless and landless. I overheard God of the angel armies say, 
Those mighty houses will end up empty. Those extravagant estates will be deserted. A 10-acre vineyard will produce a pint of wine, a 50-pound sack of seed, a quart of grain. You see, a lot of the injustice of pre-exiled Judah concerned economic issues. And Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and others essentially state that our worship must walk hand in hand with our lifestyle. That the way we treat our money and possessions, such as houses and lands, cannot be separated from the way that we relate to God. So what relevance does this have for us here in Wellington in 2019? Well, as I've already noted, one of the dis deeply disturbing trends we have seen in New Zealand over the last few decades, but it's really escalated in the last five years, is this inequality, particularly in our cities. And nowhere is this widening gap seen more, I think, than in the area of housing. It's here um, that we notice so much, I certainly notice, the difference between the haves and the have-nots. It's here that I observe in our grove and in our neighbourhood um, the deep anxiety that a lot of our neighbours have around housing on all sorts of different levels. Um, how can they pay for their housing? How can they keep it or get it dry and warm? Will they have a house to live in next week or next month? And meanwhile, others have profited big time for some, it's intentional, it's speculating and trading properties, working the system to their advantage. For others, it's simply the result of having houses that have now massively increased in value. Eh? Regardless of how it's happened, the majority of wealth of our nation is now held in the hands of fewer and fewer people. So I've been consistently challenged about this about how my worship of Jesus must go hand in hand with being just and fighting for justice for others. As, the book, as Jesus says, to whom much is given, much is required. And the book of James, of course, reminds us that true faith requires action, not just words. So I thought it would be good just to share, you, share a little bit of our story in Nainai, particularly as a church family, um, uh, as it kind of relates to this issue of housing. So St David's, our little Anglican church, is a little church that we helped replant in 2013, so about six and a half years ago. And initially, my wife Jill and I, um, with our friends who were prison chaplains, were looking at kind of developing a little bit of a residential community uh, that would support particularly guys coming out of prison. We had guys living with us and... And we'd looked for houses together, close together, and found it difficult. Then we found this piece of land. Um, and that was a, a bit of a base for us. Um, then in response to not having enough housing options for the guys that came and spent time with us, um, once they kind of needed some level of independence, we saw the potential to build on our church property uh, a couple of units. So I undertook that project management and basically designed and built a two-bedroom and a one-bedroom unit um, in late 2014, early 2015. However, as the housing crisis kind of deepened over the next year or two, 
um, we found increasing numbers of people in our network and neighbourhood who were either living in substandard housing or who, who could no longer afford to rent in Nainai. We even started to find people um, sleeping on our, um, in our around our facilities in Nainai. Um, we knew that something was really kind of not, not right when that was happening in Nainai. This is not the city, this is Nainai. And part of the chronic shortage in Nino was the fact that Housing New Zealand had sold off a whole range of kind of houses around the perimeter of Nino, and then they'd knocked down a whole lot of houses very close to our church and our house um, and done nothing with the land. And it was in a prayer time actually in Lent in 2017, only two and a half years ago, that we felt challenged as a church to do something. So what we did was we... We organised a three-day live-in protest on the empty land opposite St David's big section where there had been eight houses before. It was quite adventurous for us, really, kind of. <laughs> Protesters. Around 40 or 50 of us camped out, sharing meals with neighbours and passers-by, singing and praying, as well as waving banners and signs explaining what our protest was about. Landers for living on. Nine I needs more housing. This was not just a protest to Housing New Zealand. It was kind of trying to raise the issue of the housing crisis. But we had no idea of the tidal wave of response our three days would bring. Media and politicians turned up, as did others from all over Wellington and beyond, to support us in our protest. And with hours of setting up camp on the Friday morning, Housing New Zealand managers came to meet with us. They rang us up. The local sergeant remembered him talking to Martin and me, and he kind of said, now you do realise that I need to inform the landowners. Um, you know, he wasn't making a comment on, but he, yeah, we said, yeah, yeah, we know. Within half an hour, we got a phone call from Housing New Zealand, who had been really difficult to engage with kind of prior to this. I think they realised, though, when they met with us, that if they ordered us off their land, it would create even more negative publicity for them. Um, but we challenged them to get moving, as the vacant land had been empty of tenants for four and a half years by that stage. Our three-day protest was more than just a protest, though. It was an act of solidarity with those who were suffering the most. On the Sunday, we held a service on site, followed by a march around the neighbourhood, praying for the empty blocks of land, because that was not the only empty block of land, um, and for the people that had been dislocated, as well as for the potential for this land to once again be filled with homes and people. So I love that song, kind of, um, and, and that line around, around hope. Hadn't heard that song before, thanks. Must get the, the words and the music off you. Um, the sense of kind of rising hope. This is not just about what it's like now, but it's what, you know, um, what potentially could be in the future. The week after, <laughs> one of our church members said it was the best at the cheapest church camp we'd ever had. <laughs> we only had to travel over the road. Um, it's actually the only church camp we've had too, but that's beside the point. <laughs> but as so often happens when we seek to respond in obedience to what God is asking of us, uh, one thing leads to another. And uh, I was particularly proactive in saying to the church, um, we need to begin trying to listen to the Spirit now in saying, um, what else do you want us to do? Don't think of this as kind of a, 
you know, single kind of event, um, but maybe God is asking something more of us. And very quickly, very quickly, two opportunities came to us. The first one was that we began, or we already had begun hearing of stories of families who had lived in Nainai for a number of years, but who were soon to be displaced because the rising house prices meant that landlords were opting to sell up and take the profit, of course, and move on. Um, and at least two situations there, church members were able to buy the property so that tenants could stay in those houses. The second thing that happened was that we found out that the, the church property next to St. David's was for sale. It's church corner. We had three church facilities in a row from the corner, you know. Um, and, uh, and this was owned by a church that had closed some time ago. They'd kind of rented it out to a group like Mosaic kind of to, to use. Um, um, but we immediately, that group, by the way, was from Wainui, so it was kind of quite dislocated in terms of, of neighbourhood. But we immediately saw the potential for us to build some more housing. I, I kind of felt I got this message from God saying, Nainai doesn't need more church buildings, Wayne. It needs more housing. What are you going to do about it? You know. Um, and so the, last, the next two years were really kind of full of challenge. Because I felt the size of the venture was a bit too big for St. D's, I kind of roped in a number of other friends who are passionate about it. We set up a charitable trust, demolished the building, had to do a subdivision between a house and the immense in the building, and then cribbed some land from St. David's, which was never going to be used well, to enlarge the footprint, and then designed and built kind of five units, two two-bedrooms and three one-bedrooms. And I know some of you have been incredibly supportive uh, in, that, in that project, and I thank you for that. And so in late May, we were able to kind of open and bless those units. <coughs> and the first of the tenants kind of moved in. Really, really remarkable story. Um, one had been couch surfing for some time. Another was living in a motel, emergency accommodation. Another two were solo parents living in less than ideal circumstances. Um, kind of really wanting to offer more than just housing, but also a supportive environment, trying to help facilitate community, you know, so that it was a lot less isolation, kind of, which often happens in these, in these kind of multiple kind of unit environments. So that's kind of really been our vision in that sense. Now, there's other parts of our story that, that are really pertinent that I won't kind of go into today, but this afternoon, I'm going back, we're, we're doing an opening and blessing of a, uh, of, a, of a little space down in Hillary Court, our shopping centre, which has just been decimated by a number of kind of things, but where there's a lot of there's a lot of people on the margins that they're in Hillary Court through the day with nothing to do, um, and so this is a space of welcome really um, that will man, uh, woman, man, kind of for the next uh, you know for the next few months basically as a bit of a trial to kind of see whether there's something that we can do in response to those that are homeless or semi-homeless in our in our neighbourhood. I hope that's kind of um, um, inspiring and challenging for you, but I'm also aware that, um, that the ways that God asks us to respond are very contextual. Eh? And so I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying, yeah, this is our story, this is what you should be doing as well. It's kind of more kind of saying, 
Um, you know, we know God doesn't run a franchise operation. What's beautiful... Hey, that's right. You know, what's beautiful is that he takes our context in terms of where we live, um, our gifts and abilities and passions, um, and into the mix of that, he, he provides opportunities for us to kind of work out his kingdom uh, in, in, in our context. Nevertheless, in the spirit of the series... Thanks, Phil. <laughs> I do want to put that challenge out. What is God saying to you, individually, collectively, about the housing crisis that we face? Because, as we know, making a home for ourselves and for our neighbours is very much a part of God's intention for humanity. In Isaiah 65, we have this beautiful vision of the new heavens and earth. And as part of it, these words, they will build houses and do what? Live in them. They will plant fields and eat what they grow. No more building a house that some outsider takes over. No more planting fields that some enemy confiscates. I'm pretty sure that God wants all New Zealanders to have a safe, secure, warm, dry and affordable home. It's not incidental to God's kingdom life. So I think the central question for us, and one maybe that we can just take a moment of silence and then I'll pray for us, is what is God asking of us? Is God asking of something of us? Let's do that for a moment. Dear Lord, uh, thanks for the provision of houses in order that we can make homes. We ask for your help in creating a home for ourselves and in sharing our home with others. And we thank you also, Lord, for the provision of these facilities for our church family. May both our family homes and our church home be increasingly places of welcome and of community and of belonging and of mission, and of safety, and stability, and peace. And we're conscious, Lord, of all the people in our neighbourhoods for whom uh, their housing is not adequate. We ask that you would be especially close to those who do not have warm and dry and affordable or secure housing. And, and we're reminded that, that you know what it is like to have no place to rest your head. And your heart is broken for those who struggle with it and, 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 and that you actively pursue justice. And so, Lord, hear our cry for help. We ask that your spirit would work in the hearts and the minds of those who are able to bring change. But in the midst of this housing crisis, we also offer ourselves to you as your people we know that we have a role to play in relieving people's pain and being agents of your transformation. And so we offer our fresh ourselves individually and collectively for your purposes and we say, Lord, here we are. Use us. Amen. <laughs>